0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, or that it pierces our hearts, that it changes us, that it calls us to new life in you. And that we do... We do pray today that as we hear from you, God, that you would make us more and more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. One of the most important things that we need to wrestle with as believers is how our commitment to Jesus Christ is connected to our jobs, to the work that we do. Most of us in this room uh, get up in the morning or some other time during the day if you work a different shift and uh, you get ready for work and you go into work for 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 hours. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, get up for 24 hours and ready to go. And as followers of Jesus who believe that all of our life is to be lived in worship to God, we need to give careful thought to how our jobs, how the work that we do, is connected with our commitment to Jesus. If for no other reason, then it's because, we, it's because where we spend such a significant amount of our time. For many people, one third of their waking life will be spent at work. So at the very least, we should consider how our faith relates to our work because it is where we give so much of our time and our energy. What does God have to do with this aspect of my life? What does he say about it? How do I live in response to him in my work? What is God's plan for us in our work? We are moving into the next act of the biblical story in our sermon series on the Bible and God's mission. Uh, when we began this sermon series about six months ago, I suggested that it's it's valuable for us to consider uh, the narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and actually into today, into church history, as if it were a six-act play. Um, the Christian historian N.T. Wright gives this as an illustration. He says, imagine, imagine if there were a group of Shakespeare uh, scholars and a group of Shakespeare um, actors who discovered a lost play by Shakespeare. In the first four acts of this play, they had it completely intact, and they had actually a little bit of the last act of the play, but the fifth act of the play was kind of missing, what would the Shakespeare scholars and the actors do if they wanted to perform this play? What they would do is they would really study those first four acts really well. And because they know Shakespeare so well, because they know how he thought and what he thought about things, um, and because they knew also how the ending of the play went, then they would maybe write or kind of improvise to the best of their ability what Act Five looked like. And this is, in a way, what we've been doing over these last few months. We've been becoming familiar with the first four acts of the biblical story. The story of creation, the story of the fall of humanity, the story of Israel, the story of Jesus the Messiah, and now we're entering into the time of the life of the church Presently, we as Christians are living in the fifth act of this biblical narrative. And as we've been uh, told, we've been told what's happened in Acts 1 through 4. We've been told that God is the creator and what that means for us. We've been told about our, the fall of humanity and our sin and how that sin continues to have an impact on our lives. We've heard about the promises and covenants that God made to Israel and how those find their fulfillment in Christ. We've also been given glimpses of what is to come in the story of the new creation when we uh, read in some of the prophets and in the book of Revelation. And now we are the church, and we're given in the Bible some fragments of that story, the, the, the story of the book of Acts as well as the letters that Paul and Peter wrote. We've been given instructions about how we are to live as the church. God is still at work, and he is using us as the church now to bring about his purposes as he moves all of creation toward his new creation, towards his good and right eternity. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be moving into this portion of the biblical story called the church. We're going to be looking at some of the specific ways that the resurrection of Jesus empowers us as the church to live right now. How did the resurrection of Jesus empowers us to live in our day-to-day life? And today, we're specifically going to be talking about the work that we do, or our jobs. What does our work have to do with our life following Christ in the world? Now, last week, Easter Sunday, we talked about Paul's teaching on the resurrection from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, I encourage you to go ahead and turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is an amazing chapter of scripture, by far the longest teaching in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us and what it means also for our own resurrection. If any of you have ever tried to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before, you know that it is far beyond our ability ability to fully comprehend and to understand. Paul is talking about heavenly, spiritual things. And as we're reading it, there's times where it seems as if even Paul doesn't fully understand what he's writing about, doesn't fully comprehend what he's saying, but he knows that these are words that are coming from the Lord. But Paul's message in this chapter is about how God, in his great work of the resurrection, has transformed death into life, has transformed what is corruptible and has made it incorruptible, has transformed defeat into victory, and has defeated our great enemy, Death. Verse 54 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul comes to the end of this chapter on the resurrection and the victory that we have over death. I think it's very easy for us to anticipate that Paul is now going to finish this whole teaching by saying this. Won't it be great someday in the future? Won't it be great when we are in heaven enjoying our resurrected bodies and we will not have to worry about these old bodies or this old world anymore? That's not how Paul finishes this section, is it? Verse 58. Therefore, my dear friends, stand firm. Let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul finishes this whole section on the resurrection by saying this, your work right now in the world is not in vain. Because of Jesus' resurrection in history, And because of the certainty of your resurrection in the future, your life right now on earth has meaning and value and purpose. The work that you do, the relationships that you have with others, they have eternal value because of the resurrection. Paul's reflection on the resurrection moves him to reflect on life in our present world. Throughout the chapter, he celebrates the incredible future that we have because of the resurrection. And because of that future, he moves our attention to faithfulness here in the present. Because of the reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection in history, your life now can have meaning. Your life can be lived not in vain. The work that you do for the Lord can have eternal purpose. We are not simply saved souls who are waiting for heaven. We are men and women whose spirits have been made alive to God. We can live now in the power of the resurrection in the, and in the hope of the bodily resurrection that is to come. Now notice this past week, even after he gets past um, his discussion of the resurrection, look at verse six, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now about that collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatians churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He says, after talking about the resurrection, hey, uh, I'm coming to visit you and have the cash ready when I get there. Because your brothers and sisters, they need it. Reflection on the resurrection leads Paul to the very practical this worldly life of faithfulness. For Paul, the resurrection gives everything meaning and purpose. So for these next few weeks, 1 Corinthians 15:58 is going to be our theme verse. I'm just going to read it again here. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some very specific areas of our life and consider how, because of the resurrection, these areas of our life have meaning and value and purpose. We do not go about doing them in vain. Our life in our homes, our life in our neighborhoods, our lives as citizens, our family life, and today, our work life. Our work life. I think there are two dangers that we have as Christians when it comes to the way that we view our work. Two dangers that we have as Christians when it comes to the way that we view our work. On one side, it's tempting for us to think that our secular work, our job out there in the world, it doesn't matter. It's tempting to think that the only work that really matters is churchy kind of work. The only work that really matters eternally is evangelism or preaching or being a Sunday school teacher or volunteering at church. That's the only kind of work that God really cares about. That's the only kind of work that really matters. That's one temptation to believe that the work that you do really doesn't matter to God. On the flip side, there is another temptation that many people fall into, and it's to believe that your job or your work is the only thing that matters. It becomes an idol for some people, doesn't it? Many people find their identity in their work. Who they are as a person is defined by their job and by the work that they do. Work can also become an idol. And the Bible protects us from both of these two extremes. The Bible tells us, on one hand, that in Christ, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because of the resurrection, our work can have real meaning and purpose. But on the flip side, the Bible is very clear that your identity, who you are, is never defined by your work or by anything that you do. But instead, that you are defined by what God has done and by who he says that you are. So those are the two pitfalls that we can easily fall into as believers. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and 6. We're going to begin taking a look at this, this first temptation that we have to believe that our work doesn't matter and to help us to see that in Christ that it can and does. In Ephesians 5 through 6, uh, in the first part of Ephesians, Paul t- talks once again very beautifully about heavenly and about spiritual realities. But very similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after talking about those heavenly and spiritual realities, Paul turned his attention to the everyday, mundane, practical realities of our lives. Maybe you've heard that phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Have you heard that before? Well, for for Paul, being rightly heavenly-minded always means and makes you earthly good. For Paul, reflection on heavenly things always directs his attention to faithfulness in our present life. And that's true in all of Paul's letters, and particularly here in the book of Ephesians. Because in the first part of Ephesians, Paul talks about these heavenly and spiritual realities, but in chapters 5 and 6, he gets down into the nitty gritty and mundane details of our lives. In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul talks about our everyday relationships and our everyday activities. If you see in your Bible in Ephesians 5, verse 22, Paul begins talking about your relationships between wives and husbands. Life in the home. The beginning of chapter 6, Paul begins to talk about children and parents. These everyday relationships between children and parents. And then in chapter 6, verse 5... Paul talks about slaves and masters, or in our own understanding or our own time, it would be the work between boss and employer or employees and employees' relationships with one another. Do you see how Paul here in Ephesians 5 and 6 talks about the everydayness of our lives? The relationships that we have, the activities that we participate in every single day. Our lives in our homes, our lives in our workplace. And nine times in this section, beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, through the end of chapter 6, verse 9. Nine times, Paul uses the phrase, as to the Lord. Or twice, in the Lord. As to the Lord, or in. In the Lord. Eleven times, Paul redefines these everyday relationships and activities that we have in our homes and in our workplaces, and he defines them with respect to our relationship to Jesus. Your life in your home, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your work that you do is now to be done as to the Lord or in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15:58 Your labor in the Lord is no longer in vain. As followers of Jesus, our everyday mundane get up in the morning, get the kids ready for school, get yourself ready and go to work, all of that Paul says is now defined entirely by your relationship to Jesus. It is now done as to the Lord or in the Lord. We tend to divide up our lives. We have our church life over here, our our personal individual spiritual life over here, our work life over here, and our home life over here, and so we have all these different compartments in our life, and when we do that, it's very easy to think that that work that we do from Monday through Friday is really only marginally important, and the really important work that we do in our lives, you know, the work that God cares about is that churchy work where I volunteer Here at 910 Broadway. Well, Martin Luther once said, Truly good works are those that flow from faith. The works of monks and priests differ no whit in the sight of God from the works of the farmer toiling in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. As all works are measured before God by faith alone. That was a radical, world-altering idea when Martin Luther said it, and it changed the world. It's important to remember that it's not only pastors or those who are called to some sort of Christian ministry that have the privilege of doing their work as worship, doing it in some way as a calling to God. All Christians a calling from God. All Christians are called and are given the privilege of doing their work in such a way that honors and gives glory to God. Most of you in this room do not work in full-time professional ministry, what we call ministry anyways. It's important for you to remember that you are to do your work in faith, in faith that God is with you as you do it. Your work in a spirit of prayer and thanksgiving to God that as you do your work in faith, that as it is received as a, a gift from him, that you are offering it back to him as an offering of service to him, as to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, let's read this about slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, But like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. As you do your work, Paul says that that work can be a work that you are doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Paul is not talking to pastors here. He's talking to slaves and masters, people who are doing common, everyday work. Worship, as I think we know well here at Broadway, worship is not something that happens here on Sunday mornings from 10 o'clock to 1130. Our whole life lived before God is called to be a life of worship. To live in the power of the resurrection in our life means that we need to refuse this separation between our church life and our life with God out in the rest of the world. Your work is worship and service to God, at least if you listen to Paul's words when he says to us to do that as unto the Lord. Romans 12:2 offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship the way that you use your bodies the way that you work each week the way that you interact with people each week that is your spiritual act of worship Paul says Do you remember what Adam and Eve were placed in the garden of Eden to do at the very beginning They were gardeners. They were gardeners. God placed humanity in the garden, and he says to them, work it and take care of it. This is before sin ever entered into the world. Before the fall of humanity, before humanity sinned, there was good work for human beings to do. God created the world in such a way that the world needs human beings to put our minds and our hands to good work in order to make God's created world flourish as it was intended to. The Garden of Eden needed a gardener. Now, God certainly could have created the world in some different way, but he chose to create the world in such a way that it required human work to make it flourish. And part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we've been given the capacity to take the world's resources and to create new things. To imagine new possibilities and then to collaborate with other people who have other gifts and skills and to work together with the world's resources to make new things that contribute to human flourishing on this planet. God is at work. His mission is that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And one aspect of that plan is fulfilled when we, as human beings made in God's image, put our minds and our bodies to good work that contributes to human flourishing and to the common good. The calling of Adam and Eve in the garden was to be gardeners to work it, and to take care of it. This is a paradigm or an image for all work that human beings do. What a gardener does is, is takes the raw material of the garden, this material that God has created, and a gardener takes it and arranges it in something, some way that can be useful to us or beautiful in some way. An artist does this with colors and paints. An artist takes paints and arranges that onto a canvas in order to make something that we hope reflects truth or beauty. A musician does that with sound, takes sound and arranges it in such a way that it makes it beautiful. A business person does this with people and with machines and with products, arranges and does these things in such a way that brings about something new that didn't exist before. Accountants, aren't we glad for accountants in April? Accountants do this with numbers and with money. They arrange these things and bring order to them. God has created the world in such a way that all of these various types of work that we do in the world are right and necessary for human life to flourish on this planet. And when they are done in faith, when they are done in thanksgiving, when they are done as unto the Lord, they are good in the eyes of God. And they are fulfilling God's plan and purpose for humanity to fill the whole earth with his glory. And I think that we have missed this in the church in many ways. I think we very easily compartmentalize our lives into spiritual life over here and work life over here and home life over here, that it's very difficult for us to see how God might be at work in our everyday life. As mundane as you feel like your job might be, God has a plan and a purpose for you in it. Just as Adam and Eve were to do their work in the garden for God and with God, to bring about his purpose in the garden, we enter into the world, into our work, to do our work for God and with God, as a bringing about his purposes in our world, in our sphere of influence. Your faith... Your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your commitment to following him, does not begin and end when you come here on Sundays, or when you're doing your daily devotionals in the morning, or when you're doing things that you consider to be spiritual. Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and that is your spiritual act of worship. We are called to do our work as to the Lord, and when we do it in that way, God gives meaning To your work. On the flip side, if you remember, the other temptation was to make work into an idol, to think that our work defines who we are. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, the first person to find it gets a gold star. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. I have never preached on it, um, at least at length. Um, but I was reading it this week, and it is just a wonderful book. And we try to think about uh, bringing meaning into our life, which is strange because the book begins like this: "meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless." That's how the entire book begins: "meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless." Everything is meaningless. And you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and everything is meaningless. Learning is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. Sex is meaningless. The sun is meaningless. The seasons of the year are meaningless. Gardening is meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. And Ecclesiastes tells us that your job is meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 4 through 11 and then verse 17. This is Solomon writing, the king of Israel. He says, I undertook great projects, I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves to flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man." I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." Verse 17, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone else who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days is work. All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Doesn't seem like a very helpful scripture to help us understand the meaning of work, does it? We have to read Ecclesiastes in the right way. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes. It reminds us that all things must have their proper order in our lives. Most of the book of Ecclesiastes is written as if Solomon had blinders over his eyes that did not let him see God or heaven. What Solomon is saying in these verses is that he did all of these things for who? For his own pleasure. He did all of it, not as unto the Lord but as unto himself. This chapter is written from the perspective of someone who pursued really hard after the things of this world without thought of God. He sought to find meaning and identity and hope and purpose and joy in the things of this world as ends in and of themselves without any reference to God and God's purposes for those things. And when those things are pursued in that way, They will be meaningless. All areas of our life can become an idol. Our jobs, our homes, our families, our marriages, our children. All of these areas of life can become idols for us if they become our source of meaning and significance. And Ecclesiastes tells us that the moment that we do that, The moment that we find our source or our meaning or our purpose in those places, rather than in God and in relationship to him, then all of those things will become meaningless and purposeless. Meaning and significance come from God. It is in God that we place our hope. It is in God that we find our true identity. It is God in God that our meaning in life is found. And what Ecclesiastes teaches us is that when we have those blinders on, when we do not allow God to define our lives, and when we do not allow God to define our work in the world, when we do our work as unto ourselves rather than as unto the world, our work will be frustrating and meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything meaningless. The Bible, and especially the book of Ecclesiastes, tells us that our job is good, but it is only good as it is understood as a gift from God, as a way for us to serve God, and as one more way for us to be with God. When our job loses that purpose, when we place too much weight on our work by hoping that it will bring us meaning in our lives, when our work becomes the place where we find our identity, or when we despair because our job is just so terrible that we have no identity, then our jobs will become meaningless and frustrating because your work or your job was never intended to fulfill that role in your life. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Our jobs are meaningless in and of themselves. When we invest in them our hope and our identity, they can do nothing but disappoint us. And we all know that. We all know that from our own experience. Our job will only be frustrating if we try to give them more meaning than they were ever meant to bear. But the message of the gospel is that your identity... Your meaning and significance is already located someplace else. It's already located in the mind and work of God. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, showed you that you, apart from anything that you do, that you are someone that God loves and has sent his son to die for, and that because of that, you can rest. You can rest. You do not have to enter into the rat race. You don't have to work, 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 work to make God happy with you or to somehow be fulfilled in your life. The good news of the cross and the resurrection is that it is God who defines who you are. You are a loved child of God made in his image. And because he loves us, because he loves us, he has given us God-given gifts and talents and capacities to work, to make a contribution to life for our families and for our church and for God's good world. God, in his mercy, fills our work with meaning and purpose. He says to us that your work is one more way to bring me glory. Your work is one more way to worship me. Your work is one more way to contribute to my mission to fill the whole earth with my glory. Because of the cross and the resurrection, your work in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I recognize that for some people in this room, this message is easy for them to hear. Uh, they take already take joy in their work. They see you active there. They understand how this is a calling from you, and this was a a big high five for them. But God, I know that there's also many in this room who struggle to see, because of the nature of their job, because it's not what they wanted, whatever it might be, God, that they see that this is a really frustrating and difficult message to hear. And so, Lord, I pray, especially for them, that today, Lord, that they would see and know that it is you, it is you who is the source of their identity and their hope. And from that place, they can enter into whatever job that they are doing and see it as an act of worship as unto you. So God, wherever we are today on that spectrum, Lord, I I pray that you would help us today. Lord, help us to have a proper perspective on the work that you've given us to do. And Lord, I pray that as we go into the workplace, that we would be the people who are filled with the most joy, knowing that this work isn't done only for a paycheck or only to move up the ladder or only to satisfy a boss but it's a work that is done for you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.